If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. If you do not have a Bible, we have an NIV in the seat pockets underneath the seats in front of you. You're welcome to use that. We do use the slides um, just for visuals so people can, if they don't have a Bible or they're not familiar with how to navigate a Bible, you can see them in front of you. But I always encourage people, open your Bibles and follow along, especially if you're in the same translation. There's nothing more significant than being able to actually see. I will say it this way. Um, There are times where I've been places and I've heard pastors or leaders or anybody talk about things in devotionals or on messages, and I'm reading it, and it speaks to my heart. It's something different about when I'm actually opening up the actual Bible that I own, and something jumps off the page. Like, the book becomes more significant to me, and I remember every time I come to that place, that moment. Um, So I just want to encourage you to open your Bibles if you can, if you would uh, like to follow along with us. Um, We have been in a series uh, for I don't know how long, um, but we're going through the book of Acts, and we're in Acts chapter 16. Um, There are uh, 28 chapters in the book of Acts, so we have a number of weeks to go. But I've been really excited to continue to go through the book of Acts. Um, The book of Acts is actually abbreviated the book of Acts, the title is the Acts of the Apostles. So when someone wants to understand what the book is actually about, it actually talks about the birth of the Christian church, the New Testament church, and it speaks to the spread of the gospel message. The gospel message is the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, And it answers the question, um, how did the good news of Jesus Christ, which began with just a handful of believers, spread across the world? And he uses 28 chapters to tell the story of how it happens. It's a great narrative, um, and it's a beautiful, I like to say story, but story means it's not fictional, it's true. And this morning, we are going to talk specifically about answering that question. How did the good news of Jesus Christ, which began with a handful of believers, spread across the world? This morning's message is called Led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. And what I'm referring to is not some generic spirit that no one knows about or some presence or ghost. I'm talking about being led by the Holy Spirit. When, when um, Lisa baptized Debbie, she baptized her in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. They're all God. He is a he. He is not an it. We, as followers of Christ, have the privilege. We have the privilege of being led by the Spirit of God when we give our lives to Christ because the presence of God dwells in us He lives, he takes residence in us. God's presence takes residence in us. Do you hear me? You with me? Like he, let me say this again. God's presence in the Old Testament, he was in a tent. He was in a tabernacle. There were fire from heaven and there was pillars and clouds and people were like, whoa, there's the presence of God. You couldn't look at God. You couldn't go into the Holy of Holies because God's presence and we were sinful and all that. And then Jesus shows up, God in the flesh, and you can hug him and you can, you can hold his hand and you can lean on his chest like the apostle John did. But then he goes back to heaven and he says, it's good that I leave because when I leave, the father will send a counselor. He will send the Holy Spirit and he is the one who will bring, he will continue to bring the relationship together between man and God. The presence of God now dwelled around us, among us, and within us. And the Spirit of God is who we need to accomplish the things that he calls us to accomplish. Now, being led by the Spirit can be like a churchy phrase. You know, I'm just going to be honest. Like, I've heard all kinds of things over the years that I'm like, I get that and I can repeat it, but what does it mean? You know, someone says like, you know, you're really, you know, in a bad place. And they say stuff like, you know, press into God. 
And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, I don't know. As a kid, I'm like, I don't know what that means. You know, or I, and you can probably think of a bunch of things, but just saying like, I'm being led by the Spirit. What does that mean? How do we know that we're being led by the Spirit? And what are the benefits of the Spirit? So I was thinking about this this week, and maybe you could relate to this. You don't really get to know someone until you see them in different environments, in different circumstances. If the people that you see here today, think about some of the people that you only see on Sunday mornings, you know a very small bit about them. In fact, many of you, you know, you might have seen me for many, many weeks in this role, and you've never seen me outside of this role. Um, You know a very small piece of me. I remember many years ago, <laughs> I, remember, okay, I remember many years ago um, when I was leading worship at the church, many, many years ago, um, there was a family that we went to help move on a weekend. And I was laughing because we went to their house and the wife was shocked because I showed up in a pair of jeans. And she was just laughing the whole time. I'm like, what are you laughing at? She goes, I- I've never seen you in jeans. Like, I didn't know that you wore jeans. You know, and I laughed and I was like, wow, when you only see someone through a very, very small myopic lens, you really don't know them. So what you have to do is you have to get to know people in different, in different ways. That's why when we do like recommendations for people or like ministries will send us information to give references. One of the questions I get a lot, which is a good is, have you ever been in their house? Have you ever had a meal with them? Have you ever gone on a missions trip with them? Let me tell you something. If you want to get to know somebody, go on a missions trip with them. You go on a mission trip with them, and you're going to find out what they're really made of. And all of these different events put together help you get to know someone. I am super excited to talk about this today because we need to understand the power of the Holy Spirit, and we get to see him in a few different ways. But let's remember that the power of the Holy Spirit is the foundation by which the church of Jesus Christ grows, develops, and reaches the world. This is the mission of the church in Acts 1.8. You may remember, we went all the way back to Acts 1.8 when Jesus told uh, the disciples to go and wait in Jerusalem to be clothed with power on high. And he says in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Power is the Greek word dunamis, which really means influence over reality in a supernatural way. And he's telling people, you will have influence over reality in a supernatural way. Why? Because it won't be mankind fighting. It won't be us doing the work. It's the Spirit of God doing the work through us. You see? It's a big difference. If you feel like you're not great enough or big enough, you know, I just listened to the testimonies during the baptism. I'm not qualified to do a water baptism. Guess what? None of us are qualified to do a water baptism. But for the grace of God who redeems us and transforms us and makes us his own. He draws us to himself and he shows us what it means to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. And then he invites us into the process. But it's the power that only comes through the Spirit of God. It's not through our skills or abilities. It's not through your talents or your money. It's not through your connections or your networks. It is through the power of God that we see supernatural strongholds broken and we see the kingdom of God spread across the world. Spiritual strength results in spiritual outcomes. And that's what we're talking about this morning. So I'm really excited to talk about it because, like I said earlier, Acts 16 is a pretty unique chapter. 
I was reading through it and I thought, what piece of this am I going to talk about? And as I was reading through, I recognized, no, we're going to talk about most of it today. So what I would say is put on your pew belts and buckle up because we're going to go through a lot of this and we're going to touch things. And here's what I want you to see. And I'm going to tell you in advance what Luke does here is he shows us what it looks like to be led by the Spirit in three different stories. And then the last story, the one that most of us would probably be familiar with upon anything in Acts chapter 16, all of them are in the last story. Brilliant, the way that he does this. But he gives us an idea, and this is why this is so important, because in every instance, in every situation, you see a different character trait of the Holy Spirit. You don't just see him in one way. You see him in three. You see benefits of how he works in the midst of mankind just by looking at the individual stories. So this is what we're going to look at. I'm going to tell you up front what the three are, and then we're going to go into all three of them. But being led by the Spirit gives us three things. It promises discernment, it provides direction, and it produces disciples of Jesus. Now, are there other things that happen through the Holy Spirit? Yes, this is not an exhaustive list because in John, you can see all the descriptors of the Holy Spirit. But in chapter 16, what you see is that when we're led by the Holy Spirit, he promises discernment. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. He provides direction and his work produces disciples of Jesus. We don't lead anybody to the Lord. The Spirit of God draws them. God just uses us to bring the message. Does that make sense? So important for us to understand. God is doing the work and he uses us through the process. So we're going to look at these three briefly and then we'll look at the big story afterwards. But being, by, being led by the Holy Spirit first promises discernment. Okay, And discernment asks the question, what is the wise thing to do? If you're trying to understand what discernment means, according to what we see in Acts 6, ask this question as you're walking. You're, I'm assuming if you're a follower of Christ, the Spirit of God lives in you. What is the wise thing to do? What is wisdom? There's many different types of wisdom in this world. There's wisdom that comes from men, and there's wisdom that comes from God. There's different ways that we look at circumstances. We are three-part beings, but we have um, a fleshly body and we have a spirit and we have a soul and mind. Which part of our lives do we use to look at things around us when we're seeking true wisdom? Are we seeking wisdom for our, from ourselves or for the things from the things around us? Or are we asking for divine wisdom from God alone? In the Old Testament, we're not going to go there this morning, but that's what King Solomon did. When God asked him to say, There's only, you can ask me for anything you want as you're going to lead the people of Israel. What do you want? He didn't ask for success or fame or power or influence. He asked for godly wisdom because he needed to know and he knew that the only way that he could successfully navigate the role in front of him was to have wisdom directly from God. Look at Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5, and we're going to see how this works here. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Verse 4, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. This is an easy five verses to gloss over in Acts chapter 16. 
One, it talks about circumcision, which I don't know anybody wants to talk about. Okay, but it, it can be confusing. It's like, why does this matter? This is why this is so important. It just blows your mind if you think about it. The decision that Paul made can be easily overlooked, but it's absolutely significant. He's on his second missionary journey. He goes to Lystra. He meets Timothy. Timothy's mom is a Jew. Timothy's dad is a Greek. Timothy is not a circumcised male. Well, in the Jewish faith, if you're a follower of Yahweh, you're what? Circumcised. On the eighth day, every child was circumcised because they were set apart. It was a cutting away from the world so that you could be in relationship with God. And here's why this is so significant. Because Paul's whole mode of oper- modus operandi through his missionary journey is to teach people about salvation through faith. The grace of God through faith. And there's this movement of people that have continued to say, but you need to practice the law to also be saved. So Paul's trying to blow this up everywhere he goes when he says the law is important, but you don't need to practice the law to become a follower of Christ. But in this passage, before he takes Timothy with him, he circumcises him. Doesn't that sound the opposite? He shouldn't have circumcised him, you'd think. Well, no, I mean, he's trying to show that. This is why this is so important, because what you see in here is Paul was using discernment through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God gave him discernment, which means sometimes you're going to do things that make sense in your eyes, and sometimes you're not. And what Paul recognized was that the larger goal here was to bring the message of the gospel and to, to minister to the believers who were Jews. And he knew that every place he brought Timothy, the Jewish Christians would be hung up on the fact that Timothy was uncircumcised. So what did he did? What did he do? He circumcised him because he didn't want there to be an unnecessary hurdle between the message of the gospel and some law. He wanted to eliminate that law. He wanted to eliminate that hurdle to say, listen, this is a parenthetical thought. Let's move on and talk about what matters. Now, this is really powerful because he chose to circumcise him and he eliminated any hindrance to the ministry of the Jewish believers. This is not something he would have received in his own. The Spirit of God would have spoken that to him. Because in his humanness, it would have made the most sense for him to leave him alone. But can I tell you, true discernment from God, seeing things through God's view and not our worldview, is how we need to be looking at things in our lives. And sometimes what God gives us in discernment doesn't necessarily look like what we would think it should look like. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says this about the Holy Spirit. Verse 12, what we have received is not the spirit of the world. Listen to that. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but by the spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. Can I just tell you this morning, if you are a walking follower of Christ, the Spirit of God lives in you, what lens do you look at the world around you with? Over the last few years, there has been plenty of opportunity for us to figure out what discernment looks like by either looking at it through the world's eyes or looking at it through God's eyes. Am I right? I mean, it has been a difficult few years 
And if we're not careful, we let every other news source or every other um, person or um, broadcast or blog or opinion, and everybody has an opinion in the world. I mean, just watch what's been happening over the last couple of years, and you would have seen this. Social media is like out of control. Like, I'm convinced of this where I go, you know, I think one of the biggest dangers of social media is that it really did convince people that their opinion means more than it really does. <laughs> Mine itself included. Like, you care more about what you have to say than most people do. I'm just being honest. You know, that's the truth. You know, or like not wanting to be on social media because over the last few years, someone would post something or whatever. And they're like, Pastor Paul, did you see that? And I'm like, I don't, like, I don't, while well, they posted, it, I'm like, I don't really look like I'm not fishing through people's pages and stuff. Well, they said this and, and you got to do this and the pastor should do this. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Let them do what they're going to do. And if you have a problem with it, you go talk to them. There's a biblical response to that. I can show you where it is in Matthew. <laughs> Think about the discernment though, that we have had to look through the lens we've had to look through over the last few years as a church, as believers, where our citizenship is, first in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of this earth. Think about how this has been very difficult to navigate. And yet God always calls us, whether we're looking at global issues or home issues, where we're looking at solving the world's problems or just trying to raise one of our children. Small decisions need discernment. Small decisions need the Holy Spirit. And the beautiful thing about it is that he's going to give it to you. He says in James, if any of us lacks wisdom, he should just ask, and God gives to those who ask. So what's beautiful about this is that he's not withholding wisdom from us as we continue to nurture and fan the Holy Spirit and allow him to grow inside of us and have more authority over us as we plant ourselves deep in God's word. I mean, let me, let me just say it this way before we move on to the next point. People have over-spiritualized discernment sometimes where they've interpreted discernment as like this hyper-spiritual um, Holy Spirit, Pentecostal, something crazy weird's got to happen, and that's spiritual discernment. Does God do things like that? You bet he does. Does God speak through visions? Yes, he does. Does God bring spiritual gifts to people? Does he heal people supernaturally? You bet he does. But the most important foundation we have in discerning God's wisdom is right here. This is the word of God. He speaks to us. He teaches us. He gives visions. He's dreams. I can tell you stories of how he's done that in my life over the years that are legitimate experiences that God has used to point us in directions. But this is the most foundational thing that he has given us to grow and to gain in wisdom. So there are some things in here that we do not need to pray about. For example, water baptism. Well, I, I accepted Christ. I made a decision to follow him. Um, I'm just praying about whether I should get water baptized. Don't. Do you know why? Because they believed and they baptized. Them and their entire family. They believed and were baptized. They believed and they were baptized. Baptism is the next step for those who are followers of Christ. And the beauty of what you see here in Scripture is that it happens right after they believed. They happen right after they believed. So that's just one simple example. It's a transition in this culture. It's not a common thing for us. But that's just one small example of so many different things that we could talk about this morning. When we pray for God's wisdom and God give us discernment in a situation, some of the things maybe we pray for are very clearly already answered in Scripture. Do we know the Word of God enough to understand that we don't need to pray about that because God has already made that very clear? You with me? I hope. Okay, so you interpret that as you want to interpret it. I'm not going to try to speak into your world to say here are the individual things, but discernment matters, and when you have questions about things, the number one question we should respond with 
the number one question we should respond with. What is wise? And how do we know what wisdom is? We have to start with knowing what's in God's word. Second thing, being led by the Holy Spirit provides direction. Direction asks the question, where should I go? This is like feet to the, to, to the, to the pavement. Where should I go? I need direction. I'm looking for purpose. I need to know what the next steps are in my life. And we see this in Acts 16, 6 through 10. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Did you catch that? Paul's missionary journey had a plan and where he should go, and yet the Holy Spirit kept him from preaching the word in an area of Asia. When they came to the border of Mesia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mesia and went down to Troas. I mean, just stop for a moment with me and just think about what this is like. They tried to go in a direction. Like The beauty of this is their discernment eyes were wide open. But now the Holy Spirit's giving direction. You made a plan. You wrote it down. You better put it in pencil. God has a way of taking our plans and erasing ink lines. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Like I've made plans with black Sharpie markers before, like the thick ones that stink your whole house up. Like I have made plans like that in my life. And God just looks at it and goes, it's going to be a lot of erasing, Paul. Um, Are you willing? Are you open? And how many times, I'm not looking for a show of hands, but how many times could we look in our lives and say, I made a plan. I wrote it down on paper and God was very gracious in making adjustments to that plan because I was open to the discernment and I was willing to follow his direction and not my own. Look what happened in verse nine. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Who wants to live like this? You can raise your hand for that if you want to. I'm just like, I want my life to be more like this. Where we're listening for the voice of God. Where we're using discernment and seeing things with spiritual eyes. Even if the world says, do this. We go, no, God's telling me to do this. And that doesn't mean just be countercultural. You know, but I'm talking about like what is the foundational purpose of all of this. It's not just about discernment and direction. Ultimately, it's about the end result which is making disciples of Jesus. And we're going to get there in a minute. But I want my life to look more like this. I want God to speak more through visions. I want God to speak supernaturally into my life. I want my the understanding of the word to grow in wisdom and understanding. We have a generation of students that do not understand God's word. And the world is telling them that they can be whoever they want to be. And I'm not talking about careers. I'm talking about whatever they want to be. It doesn't matter. You can identify as anything if you want. One day they're going to come out identifying like chickens and frogs and everyone's going to say it's okay. Well, you be you and you do you. No, there is a standard that God has given us and it's not because he wants to hurt you. It's not because he's trying to kill your fun. He's showing you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You were created in the image of the creator and when you know this truth, it will change the way you live. And there are kids that don't understand this. I mean, there are adults that don't understand this. We all struggle with it at different times. But we're watching a generation right now growing up where this is becoming less and less of a foundation. And the world's foundation is whatever you think morality and truth looks like. That's the truth for you. 
so they can be, do, act whenever they want. And, and the foundation of absolute truth is drifting and it's going further and further away. We need to be rooted in the foundation of God and we need to understand what it means to walk that way and not just tell them, but we need to live it and see it lived out because the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he promises discernment and he provides direction. And the last thing I want to mention of these top three stories is that being led by the Holy Spirit produces disciples of Jesus. Produces disciples of Jesus. This question is, what is the result? Everything that happens in this world is to draw us closer to Christ or to help others draw closer to Christ. That's the spiritual mission that God has given his church. Do you know that? I I read a story the other day with a, a, a nationally known famous pastor that said something like, God wants you to be happy. And I was like, Happiness, he wants you to be holy. And there's happiness as a byproduct of that at times, but I'd rather be holy than happy because holiness means I'm in the presence of God. Happiness means I'm enjoying the things around me for my own selfish gain if it's in that order. Happiness is not a bad thing, but what is the result? What you see all through the the book of Acts is as they continued to give themselves through discernment of the Holy Spirit and direction by the Holy Spirit, people became followers of Christ. Because in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will have power and be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's the whole mission of the New Testament church. That's the mission of us. Because you know why? We are the New Testament church. Acts 29 doesn't exist on paper, but it exists in reality. We are the 29th chapter of Acts. Living it out, being who God has called us. Our mission is to know God and to make him known. That's what he's called us to be about. He hasn't called us to know God and live our lives and retire and do whatever the heck we want for the rest of our 20 plus years and just live selfishly. He hasn't called us to do that. When I was in Kentucky this past week, the guy that drove my truck for the two days that I was with him, first let me back up and say, it was cold. 28 degrees, raining and snowing outside for eight, nine hours. I sent a text to my wife and I was like, we're still outside. And she was like, ouch. (laughs) It was cold. Can I tell you the man who drove our truck, who was out there every single minute with us, cutting trees with a chainsaw, was a 75-year-old man named Ed. He retired. Sure, of course you're going to retire because you can't do the same job forever. And he told me, he goes, I always tell people when they're getting to this stage of their life, don't let go of what you have until you've found the next thing that you're going towards. And he said... He st- and he shared the story of how he started working with Christ in Action. And he said that has evolved to the place where now he is a regular volunteer with teams and driving volunteer trucks and doing these different kinds of things because he let go of his military career. He let go of his corporate career working in defense. And he, as that followed and went away, his purpose grew in ways that he said was greater than anything he ever saw before. It's not a formula that you have to go work for disaster relief organizations. But can I tell you, the purpose of our lives is to be one who points people to Jesus. God's not calling us to sit at home or live on the beach and collect seashells for the rest of our existence until he takes us home. And if you don't have the physical capacity to do that, God still has a plan for you. Do you know that? He has a plan for everyone who's still alive today. He does not want us to be without purpose. His purpose wants to be planted in you and in me to continue to reach people for Christ. So people that can't be on the ground with the boots, this deployment that we went to was two months long. 
we were told, by the leaders of the ministry organization. Two months long, 22 individual trucks or excavators were on site where we were. 23 large trailers. And when I mean trailer, I don't mean like carry like an ATV. I mean like semis that were converted into kitchens and showers. 22 of those. 232 volunteers, they said, came to serve over a two-month period. They helped over 200 families, and it cost almost a half a million dollars for them to be down there for the two months. Twelve core people worked in that organization, and none of them got paid for it. They all raised their own funds as full-time ministry missionaries. No one in the organization ever gets paid a dime to do what they do. How is that possible? I couldn't wrap my brain around that. None of you get paid anything. We raise all our support. The ministry doesn't. It's supported by individuals and smaller churches. There are no corporate sponsors that are happening, and yet they're raising hundreds of thousands of dollars to go on these deployments. And my mind is going, God, how is that even possible? And in the midst of all that, I'm preparing for this week. And he's like, because the Spirit's the one that does it, Paul. This isn't about man's ingenuity. It's about the Spirit. And he comes in. We figured it out on our way back because, you know, we're talking numbers. Like almost $30,000 in fuel just for a round trip for all those vehicles. And they told us when we were down there, they said, every single time we do this, we post things on Facebook or social media. We go to our partners and we tell them, hey, we're getting ready to go. We've got this huge nugget that we have to crack for, for fuel to go and help these people. And every single time, all of that money is covered financially so that we can get all the equipment there and get all the equipment back. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So I'm talking to this man who's 75 years old and he's tall and he's just looking at me and we're talking. (laughs) He was, he was like this. And I was, I, I said to him, I said, I hope if I have the physical ability to do this when I'm your age, that I would do something as significant because in the 20 guys that stayed in the room that we stayed in. And let me tell you, that's, that was stinky. The 20 guys that we stayed in and everyone had like a twin bed size and it was taped off. I want to say probably eight guys in that room or 10 guys in that room were probably over 65 years old. And they were leading the charge to make this happen. And I said, you know, your purpose never ends on this side of eternity, church. If you're breathing, that means you're listening to me. If you're listening to me, it means you're breathing. And if you're hearing this, God is not done with you. He's not done with you. You might be a young person and your career is changing and you're going, I don't even know what this is supposed to look like. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I don't know. Let me tell you something. If you're breathing, God still has a plan and a purpose for you. And he will use you through discernment and direction so that more people can become disciples of Jesus. Do you hear? I can't emphasize how important that is for you to look at that and go, God, what are you calling me to do? Yeah, I mean, he's here today somewhere. Jim Thomas, are you in here today? Yeah, he's here. There he is. I mean, I've cleaned toilets with this man. We have slept way too close together on mission trips. And Jim's like 105, right? I mean, you're a pretty old dude. Let me tell you something. Don't ever think that you don't have value in the kingdom. You may not have the same strength that you had when you were younger. You may not be able to do some of the same things, but God is great at repurposing you for things that will make a huge difference. Maybe when you were younger, you were the muscle. Maybe when you're older, you're the wallet or the prayer or the encourager, or the person that writes notes, or the person that builds new ministries. 
You know, there's a whole network of people in the, in the world, a whole, whole group of people in the world that I think when they get older in this life, and, and this isn't even in my notes, but I'm just like, I'm so, I get so frustrated with this when I see our country is really good at disqualifying elderly people in our world. They get to a place where they're no longer productive for the stock market or they don't work or they retire. I'm like, well, you just go in a room and eat jello for the next 20 years. You know, go watch infomercials. Like, and I look at that and I go, that is not right. The minds of these people, sure, maybe they can't lift what they lift before, but they understand how to build businesses. They understand how to develop systems. They understand corporate strategies. They understand process. And young guys have lots of energy, but they're clueless. We need them together. You hear what I'm saying? So this is super important. I just want to encourage you with that. Please, if you're in one of these places, old, middle-aged, or young, there is a purpose that he has for you, and it's to disciple people for Christ. This was the result, and we see it in verse 11. Look what happens. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight from Samothrace, Samothrace, Samothrace. And the next day, we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message when she and the members of her household were baptized. She invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. God's direction through discernment kept them out of Bithynia towards Philippi. And because of the direction, Lydia and her entire household came to Christ. And if you read forward ahead what happens later on in the missionary journeys, Lydia is part of what God's doing through the gospel as she begins to go on travels as well. I don't understand why God does what he does. Was there something wrong with the people in Bithynia? Right? Because I look at that and I go, well, they're people too. Why wouldn't it matter? I don't understand God. But I know that when we use discernment from the Holy Spirit and we follow his direction, we see the evidences of people coming to Christ. And it may not be in our timeline and it may not be in our window of opportunity that we're there, but the seeds are planted, the seeds are planted, the seeds are planted. Some of you over the years that have known me have heard the story I've shared many times about how my Jewish grandfather made a decision to follow Christ an hour before he passed into a coma and then died three days later. And I was a part of that process over two, three-week journeys down to Florida to see him. I didn't see him for 27 years. He was estranged from our family for different reasons. Um, The day that I went down there, the last day that I was there, and he made a decision to follow Christ. I remember I asked him after he told me just an hour before that, I'm unwilling to make a decision on the future or the fate of my soul. I'm unwilling to make a decision on that. I went out, called my parents, prayed about it, came back in, and then he told me he wanted me to convert him to Christianity, which I didn't understand how the change happened. But, but I prayed with him, and he went from a very bitter, angry-faced person, and he was upset. I mean, he had a lot of pain. He was in excruciating pain. He went from a guy who smiled cheek to cheek. And I just looked at him, and, and his wife came back in, and... Um, he was like, Paul converted me. I'm a Christian. I'm not kidding. Like literally he was like, and he had a deep voice. He was like, Paul converted me. I'm a Christian. And she looked at him and she was like, that, that's nice. Like she was, she was a Catholic and I'm not saying Catholics aren't Christians. I'm just saying she never saw the change in the disposition. She just looked at him and looked at me, looked at him and looked at me. And then an hour later he was moved to hospice. 
He tried to talk. He couldn't talk anymore. Went into a coma, and three days later, he passed away. Then we went back to their house, and we went into their closet, looked at all the shelves that were there, and he started pointing out all the stuff that was there, and I found a Bible. And the Bible, when I opened it up, had a, it had a handwritten note in there from my uncle and my aunt from the 70s saying how they were praying for his salvation from the 70s. And it was still there. And then I remembered what he said when I asked him why he wanted me to convert him, because I don't believe Jews get converted. I believe they get completed. And I said, um, why the change? And he said, no change. I've known in my heart for a long time. And all I could think about was the discipling that began years ago by someone using discernment and getting a Bible and writing words and praying and praying and praying only to see decades later someone make a decision to follow Christ. This is all about disciples. It's all about making disciples of Christ. You with me? I mean, I can't, I can't explain how significant this is. So, okay. I'm going to keep you just for another 30 minutes. Just kidding. <laughs> Hang on. Are you following me? Are you guys with me? I hope. Okay. If you're going to write down a career plan in this world and you're a follower of Christ, make sure the end goal is that your life is about making disciples for Christ because that will affect everything all the way through. You might be a discipler in corporate. You might be a disciple as an entrepreneur. You might be a retired discipler, but I just want you to hear that. That is the goal of every follower of Christ. That is the mission of every follower of Christ to help produce disciples. And we only do that by leaning and being led by the Holy Spirit. So now we're going to look at the last chunk in Acts 16. I'm going to read through it relatively quickly and just comment on this because Luke does an amazing job showing one instance from beginning to end where there's discernment, direction, and the result is disciples of Christ. They're still in Philippi. Lydia, that's where she became a follower of Christ. Paul and Silas are going in to pray to the place where they pray. And during this time, the scripture tells us of a girl who's following them over the course of three days. And she has a spirit in her that keeps prophesying and speaking future, that she can tell the future. And she's following them everywhere that she goes, declaring and shouting out loud, these men are followers of the most high God. They're servants of the most high God. And they're doing this for three days. She's owned by this person who makes money off of her fortune telling, and she keeps declaring this. The two things, just an aside, but have you ever questioned the authority of God over the authority of demons? Think about the fact that a demonic presence that was fortune telling and possessing this girl couldn't help but declare Jesus as Lord. Couldn't shut up about it. Think about that. Paul got so angry and irritated, it says, that he finally turned to her and said, in the name of Jesus, I command you, get out of her. And the spirit was gone. So she was healthy, normal again. The demon was gone. Spirit was gone. But now the masters were really upset because their ability to make money was gone. So that's the setup. So what they did, they got so irritated with Paul and Silas that they brought the crowds up against them and they threw them in prison after they beat them. After they beat them. And they threw them in prison. That's the setup. Now we're in verse 22 of Acts chapter 16, and this is what happens. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Who wants to sign up for this mission? Right? 
They were severely flogged. They were severely beaten. They were thrown into prison. Their feet were in, their feet were in stocks. And then you see spiritual discernment as they're led by the Holy Spirit. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Discernment. What is discernment? What is the wise thing to do? What eyes are we looking at this morning? When you're sitting in prison and it's dark and dingy and you're beaten up, they could have been angry. They could have been discouraged. They could have been depressed. They could have been yelling at God if they wanted to. But instead, they're praying and singing hymns to God. That's seeing things through spiritual eyes. Because you know what's beautiful about that in their discernment? And think about this. While they're using this discernment, all the other prisoners are listening. When you're in a prison, figuratively speaking, your response and the way you use discernment will influence the people around you. You may or may not know that, but it is true. The way you respond to difficulty, hardship, and struggle, you may not recognize the impact that it's having, but people are watching and listening. Spiritual discernment matters. Promising discernment that comes through the Spirit of God. They're in prison. Their thing to do was to pray and to sing songs. Then you see direction in verse 26. Suddenly there was, a, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The next question in direction is where do we go? And you know where they were called to go? Nowhere. Think about that. Their shackles came off. The doors opened. All the prisoners were in that place. They could have gotten up and run if they wanted to. And they used spirit-led direction. And the spirit said, stay here. Stay here. Now, does that make sense? No. How many of us would be like, I'm out of here, right? Because in man's wisdom, we say we need to go, but they're listening for the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And he says, stay. And not just him, but all of them are there. I don't know what that world was like or what was happening in that place, but I got to believe it was probably one of the coolest church services I would ever been a part of. For people that didn't even know God were listening to prayer and hymns and singing and all the doors open and they just didn't go anywhere. But why was the direction so important for them to stay there? This is the third piece. Because discernment and direction produces disciples of Christ. 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Verse 32, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were what? Baptized. Isn't that beautiful? The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. I mean, where do you go from here? We're going to close here in just a few moments and ask the worship team to come. And, and I, I just want you to take in response to this, you know, think about what it means to be led by the Spirit. Think about what it means 
to understand true discernment that's spirit-led or to be directed by the Spirit where he's showing you where to go, when to go, how to go. But be mindful of the fact that when God leads and God directs and he wants us to walk according to his plan, the purpose is to draw you closer to him and for you to help others draw closer to Christ. That's the whole reason we're still alive. That's the whole reason our hearts still beat in this world when we become followers of Christ is to grow closer to him, to make him known so that others may know. So it's a choice that we have to make each day to ask ourselves, what eyes are we looking at through? What eyes do we look through? Let me tell you, I have plenty of apps on my phone that want to tell me what eyes I should be using to make decisions in this world. And I don't care what news station or news agency you listen to, none of them are really right. They all have an underlying agenda to put something in front of you. And I'm not saying that there isn't truth in some of them. I'm just saying, make sure whatever you allow into your mind through your eyes or your ears, you're filtering it through spiritual discernment. Because the things that are happening in our world right now, they're not just physical. Paul says this in Ephesians 6. He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but about rulers and principalities. People are asking these questions right now as we're, we're seeing the horrific um, results of a tyrannical government coming in and waging war on another country right now. And innocent people are losing their lives. Are we just seeing things through the physical and saying, well, we need to do this and, and here's why every Christian needs to have an AR-15. You know, And I've seen this stuff posted. I'm just like, stop. Stop. You don't have to be anti-gun or gun and this isn't about any of that. It's about what is God's response through this? What is the wise thing for Christians and followers of Christ to do? How do we engage what's happening in an evil, sinful world and be the hands and feet of Christ? And I don't know what that looks like for all of us, but I know God will speak to each one of us as we ask him to. It is simply a choice to ask ourselves, are we building our lives? Or I'm sorry, are we building our worldly kingdom? Or are we about building God's kingdom? It just depends on our priorities each day. And each one of us has a choice that we have to make to grow in that. So what do you build your life on? Who do you build your life on? Is the spirit in you? Because I can tell you that he is a person and Paul makes it very clear that though the spirit of God may live in you because he's the one that brings that confirmation of salvation, we can encourage him and grow him or we can grieve him and put the fire out. And the way that we encourage him and we feed him with fuel and gasoline, spiritually speaking, is by feeding ourselves with the word and walking in purity and in holiness and surrounding ourselves with others who can encourage us through the journey. And God begins to ignite this fire in us so his Holy Spirit becomes more and more influential in our lives. But if we operate in selfishness and we fill ourselves with impurity and we don't spend time in his word, or we get self-centered, or we walk in levels of fear that paralyze us, the spiritual areas of our lives, the spirit gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And then it's harder to be led by the spirit because we can't discern what's of the spirit and what's of the world. But the good news is, the good news is, scripture says, come near to God and he will come near to you. The whole message of scripture is about repentance and restoration. And God's about making all of us whole to him when we come to him with a humble heart. So you have a choice this morning that you can make 
to grow in relationship with him and let the spirit be the one who gives you discernment and direction. And you can choose that every day. And I hope you do. Because the end result of it is, I mean, based on what we read, some of the coolest journeys and adventures you'll ever see and I'll ever see. Because it's not us that lives, but as the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians, it's Christ that lives through me. Would you stand with me, please, just for a few moments? Would you please just take this time as the worship team leads us in this song, just to reflect on where you are in your own life and ask yourself what being led by the Spirit looks like. And I also want to just speak to each one of you um, if there's anyone here that's not really ever given their lives to Christ. That journey can begin for you today. Just like we saw Debbie make that declaration to say, I made this choice, I've been growing for three years, and I want to get in the tub and I want to make that public declaration. It's a beautiful thing to see. If you're here today and you've never made a decision to follow Christ, why not today? As Pastor Rob said, if your heart's pounding and your head's thumping, the Spirit of God is trying to get your attention and he has something for you that you can only experience when you choose to trust him as Lord and Savior. God, have your way in this place as we continue to worship this morning. May we be mindful of what it means to build our lives on you and you alone. In Jesus